Dude, I'm sorry. Just Colette and I both <laughs> reacted to the fucking visual feast that Roman gave us for the last 45 seconds. And it was fucking... He, like, stood up and waltzed around his home and turned lights off and then turned lights on and then grabbed his boxed water and then unscrewed it while you were talking and drank it in the most unusual form i've ever seen someone drink boxed boxed water was it, it was like milk that he was punishing by drinking it and then i looked at colette and saw that she was also responding to this visual feast and uh and i i had to derail you so that's i'm i'm, I'm sorry i muted myself so as not to be distracting well sure you were not distracting um you disgusting boxed water of a man like Django was saying before I derailed us by the fucking Roman derailment is that perfectly acceptable podcast where we laugh and smile while we secretly want to strangle one another this is episode (laughs) 188 it's a comic show we get together we talk about comics in varying locations on varying days that used to come out on a singular day but now they just sort of (laughs) dribble out like you know happen yeah absolutely like a happen just out of the mouth um i'm jeff i'm jeff got some comics i'm Django. I'm Django. Got some comics. <laughs> I'm Roman. I'm Roman. Got some comics. I'm Colette. I'm Colette. I think I got some comics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got some comics. Django, you have a little bit of piss and vinegar on your mouth there. <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, I Yeah. I was eating piss and vinegar right before we you're, logged on you're here. Spitting, you're spitting fire tonight. <laughs> I think I was nice to you today. I'm not sure I entirely, <laughs> I don't think I entirely warrant the tone, but I'll, I'll accept it. Okay, 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 wait, 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 I've got another one. I've got a different one. I've got a different one. All right, I've got a workshop on a different one. I started up the Comics Place Fantasy Football League today, got all of the people yeah. in it, set a draft time, so even listeners of this show may be in that league. Um, if you are listening to this and you wish that you were in the league, I posted about it for a while, I'm sorry, but uh, we've got a whole new type of very nerdy subculture from the Comics Place. I'm excited We've got to a be league of our own, is what you're saying. That is my favorite Tom <laughs> Hanks joint. That one is so great. If you build it, they will come. <laughs> hey, Django, what comics are we going to talk about this week? Oh, well, this week, is, uh, uh, we're going to talk about Strange Adventures number four. We're going to talk about Deceased Dead Planet number two. We're also going to talk about Ice Cream Man number 20. We'll talk about Firepower number one probably dip a little bit into number two as well oh king of nowhere number four we're also going to talk about some other comics a league of their own that's all (laughs) i have in front of me for a grotesque (laughs) amount of time we're also going to talk a little bit about that tasty morsel that came out this week death metal legends of the dark knights yeah Um, yeah Django, you particularly enjoyed giant size x-men phantom x number one i devoured it and we'll also talk briefly about a couple other things like Batman 96, Sex Criminals number 30. Maybe Roman will have some hot takes about some hot things that he did. Uh, let's just, let's get right into it. I really liked that, Django, because you determined at least the first two thirds of that reading order. And I think Strange Adventures 
uh, was absolutely the right one. Strange Adventures number four, Tom King, Mitch Garrods, Evan Shaner. <clears throat> We've talked about every issue. We've liked all of them. This one, I feel like the final half of issue number three is kind of where I started to get the direction and vibe of what this series was. And then all yeah. of this issue here, I feel like uh, I had like a direction that I was pointing and I had an idea of what the series was. And I really loved it from that standpoint. Oh, it's a procedural. Okay. Okay. It's like a fake news procedural with these huge frustrating overtones of like people being overshadowed by the power that is above them. And like the has this inherent restrictive frustration <clears throat> within it because you, you feel like a powerless little thing like I do in the everyday government of our world right now. <laughs> Colette, what are you thinking it. of Strange Adventures? Yeah, I loved it too. I mean, this series as a whole. Hey, everyone, Colette is here. <laughs> Hi, Colette. You guys Hello. don't get to talk to her all the time. We do. Uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts on this book? Uh, I'm loving this book. It's, uh, I'm having a hard time trying to, I was, I've been contemplating what I wanted to say about it going into this because it's, um, I feel like I can't really form an opinion on it issue by issue. It's one of those things that I, like, I'm really loving reading it, but I think I'm going to be able to actually have much more of a coherent, explanation why I love it rereading it or being able to put it together as a whole arc I don't know maybe it's the the two different storylines mixed together I feel like every issue isn't quite as much as I want for a little moment of the story mm -hmm. um but that said I I think it's been a really I I've really appreciated the shift from what I kind of thought that the book was going to be about to being yeah. this more um dive into uh best intentions for ennoble causes and how do you balance that and uh and just this um compelling characters aren't necessarily people you want to stand behind and the more you get to know them the less the less you want to like them as much as you do or kind of thing um i have a hard time thinking about this book as a singular book because every time i sort of think about it it begs a comparison for Mr. Miracle. And I, I mm -hmm. for no reason other than it's, you know, two thirds of the creative team of this are the Mr. Miracle creative team. And it's a high concept sort of psycho analysis of a superhero. 12 issue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but this one, like Mr. Miracle, like we loved it. And I, I love it, but it really was, you, you know, the whole time you were trying to figure out like, what is this thing? Mm -hmm. And this one to me, I appreciate, not that it's better or worse for being different, but I appreciate that this story seems to have, even though it is like what is going on is obfuscated, there does seem to be a sort of linear-ish exploration of these mm -hmm. characters. It's not like the whole time just being like, are we alive? Are we dead? Where are we? What is this? Like this well, is- And like Mr. Miracle, you went through a journey within each issue, even though it was- a longer story there was there was an emotional moment he was trying to explain within each issue and this is much more a full journey yeah and not broken up into those weird little morsels that you were supposed to unpack i think mr episode. miracle was kind of a like each issue was an homage to the storytelling of uh jack kirby mm -hmm. and this one is I, I don't think that that's what they set out to do with this. This is more like, here's a story with this character and we're going to do our own twist on it. But Mr. Miracle was like, they, they were playing with the medium a lot more with Mr. Miracle, which I think 
I think is something that Kirby did more than Strange Adventures ever did. You know, like Strange Adventures was just like kind of stock space adventures. They're, they were definitely playing with the medium in that one. I really like what they're doing with the medium in this one. Because mm-hmm. it's almost less like <clears throat> playing with it and more a really masterful manipulation of what you can do with the medium. Even to the yeah. effect, like the, the parts in this one where uh, Doc Shaner's art, like near the beginning, it's like, it kind of fades into becoming Mitch Garrett's art. Like it starts to do the discolored digital glitch effect of Mitch Garrett's mm-hmm. as it transitions to that, which is just like, they're not even just juggling these two art styles. It's for two art styles that are so different. It kind of astounds me how well they complement one another. How seamlessly you read from one to the other, even like the page where there's split between the two artists um, from panel to panel. It's, it's not jarring the way you would expect right. that are to they, be. It's I also, thought this was a really good issue. I think it was my favorite of the four because it felt like I was kind of sinking my teeth in the deepest for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it's also just astounding to me that they, like Adam Strange and Mr. Terrific, two characters I would actively avoid reading a comic of mm-hmm. out of just a sense of disinterest. And they managed to make both of them incredibly compelling. Adam Strange less so than Mr. Terrific, who is just awesome Roman can you get in this muddy, muddy mud box with me? This was my favorite issue of the series too, so far. Um, and yeah, because yeah, because I don't care about Mister Terrific either. But this is such a great Mister Terrific story, and I, <clears throat> excuse me, and I, I love the facts. I mean, it's been a long time since I saw the movie in the heat of the night, and there may be with more Tom parallel. Hanks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and there might be more parallels, but especially the scene at the end when Sardas slaps Mister Terrific and he slaps him back, but harder. That's that's a scene from In the Heat of the Night with oh. Cindy Poitier when he slaps the the rich, I think he's a senator guy that's talking down to him because he's a black man. Um, so that that's was a cool, cool twist on that moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, so it's all well written, and it's got a little moment like that 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 made me smile. And the like, you know, at the beginning we were like. I think the first issue Django was like, what is fair play? And you're like, oh, it's just like his old costume said it. And I was sort of like, that's kind of a dumb, weird thing to hold on to in this series. But he able he was able to take this idea of a through line of that character that's old and make it apply in a way that was very cathartic. Yeah. You know, this idea of like, yeah, the powers that be are manipulative and corrupt and terrible. And it makes sense that, you know, if someone is sort of turned around, is turned about as far fair play or whatever, you know, like he would slap them back, even though it's sort of like, oh, you did that. It's like, aren't we all, Bailey? You know what you were getting into. I'm fair play guy. Like it was just a, a cool way of making a sort of Silver Age thing relevant. Yeah, Golden Age thing. Um, I would believe that too. Yeah, the original Mister Terrific. Um, yeah, and I'm surprised how I, I'm I'm digging how much of this is kind of drawing on. I think I mentioned this last time the Adam Strange miniseries from she's the late 90s that went kind of a dark path mm-hmm. and had Sardath using them and betraying them and everything and then that that was ignored after that four issue series left or stopped um and they seem to be drawing on some of those threads here which is cool and, is and it, Alana scares me I I don't I don't want her to be bad <laughs> man she's so compelling and also just yeah the more we learn about Ran, like and how exceptionally xenophobic they are, yeah. and like mm. you can be terrible people that are being 
oppressed or that a uh, a horrible group is is trying to wipe you out and like you don't deserve to die but man it doesn't mean you're also good and uh <laughs> and she is just fascinating and i love every moment she's on the page but also is just like fuck she's gonna fuck someone over real soon any yeah. moment so does anybody have any you know anyone want to post any theories about what's going on anybody got any I think Mr. Terrific is auditioning for the role of Batman in the DC universe. I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. It like I, I, I do think just the whole conversation of like, oh, you can't get the Pix records because their language is way too basic. It's not even worth having. And it is exactly, you know, Western imperialism or colonialism. It is absolutely like people moving in and then they get to choose how history is represented. And it seems like such a modern of the times right now thing that should be discussed. I, I love that we're getting it in a superhero comic in a way that feels like a superhero comic, but also like a political statement. I think yeah, Alana's the bad, the baddie in this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, think, that's, that's where I see it going. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. I think their daughter was sacrificed or is like living as a, like they were able to end the war because she was sent off somewhere or something. That's the big thing that I'm, hmm. Because that's what keeps getting brought up by Mr. Terrific is the daughter. Where did she go? Mm -hmm. And uh, I like, oh, that's just like, so Interestingly, they slide by here at one point when he's like trying to convince like maybe Superman or Hal Jordan to take him back to Ran. He's like, I think an interesting thing is like a lot of these flashbacks to Ran, the Doc Shaner art, that time period is pretty hazy when things are happening. Mm -hmm. And he says at one point, my wife and my daughter are there and it's of a time frame where it feels like it is the older Adam Strange. So like, we don't know what's happening with the daughter. I just like Colette absolutely said, but there are some times where it feels like when we're with the Adam Strange that has a missing daughter is confusing in here. Cause there's times where mm-hmm. it seems like it's current day Adam Strange and he's saying my wife and daughter are over there. And it's like, okay, where is your daughter? What's the deal with your daughter, Mr. Adam? Django, or sorry, Roman in that that '90s Adam Strange series, did he have a daughter? Was that explored at all? Um, yeah, they did. And oh man, I'm trying to remember something. She was used as a bargaining chip in some way, and something bad happened to her. She may have been killed by the end of it. I'm not sure. I don't remember. But yeah, she was being used. That was the Andy Kubert, like the prestige format, the three issue thing. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, I really like the way that Superman told him, "Look, I'm not." I'm busy. I got a bunch of things to save here. Uh, I totally trust you to save things on that planet when you get there. I thought I thought that was a really cool thing. Yeah, and like part of being the most powerful person on the planet is that I have to make decisions about who I'm saving at what time mm-hmm. to benefit them. Yeah. Well, and I give it a nine point five. <clears throat> Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Continue your thought for sure. I was just gonna oh, dump my was, score out. But. I just loved the the how. And then Superman, this building, how you've got, how Adam is clearly wants to get back. All He wants to go be a hero, but his desire is clouding his ability to see what being a hero mm-hmm. means, that he can't recognize the greater good for that, that singular focus of what he's personally feels guilty or responsible for and how much his ego is tied into having to be the savior yeah um, and i i just i love seeing that play on because the more and more you're reading this it's like oh i 
could totally believe that he is actually a war criminal and he's mm-hmm. just because he allowed himself to completely lose sight of everything. I'd give it a nine. Uh, and I hope that I'm never Adam Strange asking Superman and Hal Jordan to help me move because I don't know what the answer would be. I'd help you move, bud. I mean, oh, I'm not Superman or Hal Jordan, would. but I've got a car. I'll ask you before I ask those assholes. Yeah, they don't want to help. <laughs> yeah, you'll have, you'll have uh, blue and gold helping you move. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And we'll call Roman and be like, Roman, are you home? And we'll be like, no one's heard from Roman in five days. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Roman, what did you get Strange Adventures number four? That's not Roman's usual smell. <laughs> um, I give it a nine. Yeah, a nine. Let's just, yeah, a nine. It's a good book. It's a good book. <laughs> Roman, Deceased Dead Planet number two. I've been excited to talk to you about this book for <sighs> the several days it's been since we read it. Because he's such yeah. a big Zatanna fan, right? I and know. to I've... see her in the battle that way, I thought Roman's going to be excited. Well, I'm a huge Arsenal fan, and he gets fried. I couldn't believe it. Jeez. <laughs> Tom Taylor, uh, Trevor Hairsign. So tell me about you and Arsenal. <laughs> he, he is the best of the backwards baseball cap-wearing superheroes of all. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the most interesting subcategory of Roman's favorite heroes, the backwards baseball yeah. cap-wearers. Uh, I got to say, I, uh, I read this issue, and I kept thinking, yeah, it's pretty good. So far, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Is this going to be the one where Tom Taylor doesn't uh, blow me out of the water with something? And then uh, by the end, I <laughs> I made actual noises when the big reveal happened. Roman, will you tell everyone what the big reveal was? Spoilers. Oh, I'd be glad to. Ragman shows up. <laughs> <laughs> with Arsenal in the same issue. I know, I love Ragman. He's so cool. And Blue Devil's pretty cool, too. Um Roman, you're just giving me blue devils over here, right? Just tell me what it is that was so awesome that clearly was a Roe moment. Oh, oh, it's so awesome. There's a lot of little awesome things in this. Dr. Strange, Dr. Fate's Tower of Fate is inside the garden. But the big moment, the big moment, the big spoiler moment that we're going to spoil, the the red moat around the bad guy's headquarters. That we thought was blood. Which they say is blood over and over and over. they, They think it's blood until it starts like rising up and coming after them. It's infected, horrible, monstrous plastic man sending like plastic spiky tendrils through people. He kills Ragman right away. <laughs> it is such a good scene. Such a, like, the, it's the perfect reveal. And... Yeah. Yeah. And, and at first I was, I was like, wait, oh my God, that's his face. That's his goggles and his nose. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Colette, and... are you reading the deceased books? No, and I have realized that I made a giant mistake not reading them. I usually hate zombie or zombie-adjacent stories. They do nothing for me, but I uh, have heard nothing but fantastic stuff about all these, and I'm kicking myself for not having read them yet. I talked briefly with Brayden yesterday about it, and gosh, I think I mentioned it like in issue one or something, but I really like these deceased books. They are cranking them out in a way that is a little exhaustive. Like I really like reading them, but we don't usually go four weeks without a deceased book of some type. I think Tom Taylor is a fantastic writer and the art is really cool. Like Django said, this issue was fine until it got to a really cool moment. And at this point, it feels like I'm kind of surfing from cool moment to cool moment more than I am really enjoying the holistic kind of top-down nature of a story. 
And I don't know if I would feel differently if it was coming out a little bit slower or not, or in a different way, because there is like, there was deceased, there was deceased unkillables, there was some digital first ones, there's dead planet here. Um, it's I, I don't know, man, I feel like um, if this came out slower, I would lose momentum and forget to read it. So? Even though I, I like every single one of these that I read is one of my very favorite issues of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I, not I'm just for there. the moments. It's like there's there's some emotional stuff that happens throughout every single issue. And he does a really good job of even in this one where you've got a team of like five or six or seven C and D list characters like Ragman, E list characters, Roman. You you have that emotional punch when those characters inevitably are killed in some amazing and inventive way. I've never been bummed out that Blue Devil will never be in another comic in a universe <laughs> again. But now, like, I kind of wanted to hang out with Blue Devil some more. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the things I'm loving about these series. And I agree, if it was coming out slower, I, I would lose momentum. Um, okay. And I, I just could have used that... a break between one and two, I think. Like a, a metal yeah. type event. Like, give me nine months off between Deceased 1 and Deceased 2. Sorry, Roman. I, I also love that he's using all these, you know, DC and E list characters. <laughs> DC. Um, even, even just little, <laughs> even just little moments. Like when uh, Mary Marvel and Dr. Fate take off <clears throat> out of, out of the shelter to go fight that one panel, they're just flying up in the sky. It's like, yeah, Mary Marvel and Dr. Fate. Cool. <laughs> it, it has a kind of walking dead feeling to me at this point. Like mm-hmm. that book was never bad, but there would be moments of character work then, parsed out in good character work but then parsed out by these big events and i think at some point no matter how good walking dead was i sort of was going like kind of trying to get to the big moments as i was reading it and felt like that was snyder's batman that it just got to this like it was three issues of lead up to something that was really cool and then it sounds like this is just in one issue and i love it i love this book um but yeah yeah that it's just it's a it's a weird it's a weird, there's been a lot of it and I, I like it. I'm glad that it keeps coming out. And I'm just like, Tom Taylor has just fucking floored me at, at this point. I hope that they keep him on it yeah. and don't don't farm it out. Right. And I also hope that when it starts, it's inevitable slide towards garbage that they they pull up short and, and just say, okay, that's it, we're, we're good. Yeah, uh, I, I would like give it. this, oh, what, what, what do you got wrong? No, I, I just wanna say, this is another great, I love when writers take Plastic Man and do something evil with him. Because whenever that infrequently happens, like in the Dark Knight Strikes Again and uh, the recent Freedom Fighters series, and now this, it's just horrifying, mm-hmm. his, power, his abilities when they're evil. I give it a, an eight and a half. I give it a nine. I'm going to go eight. Very good book. <laughs> Colette? Oh, wait, you didn't read it. Uh, I'm going to give it a, I'm gooey ducking that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> a blind gooey duck. Ooh, aren't they all blind? Um, they only got one eye. And only one. Got to get those goggles on it. Big old red goggled gooey duck. <laughs> Thank you. I had nothing there. Ice cream man number 20. Django, talk to me about ice cream man number 20. Gosh, I think Colette and I are probably, uh, probably the most qualified to talk about this book that has parodies of Goodnight Moon and The Giving Tree and uh, Dr. Seuss, uh, uh, the, is it The Places You'll Go? No, it's Green oh, okay. Eggs and Ham. 
almost brought that home with me. I was like, oh, I'm doing the podcast. I should finally read an issue of, of Ice Cream Man. I, I'm emotionally stable enough. I might be able to handle that. Forgot to bring it home. And of course, it's the one I should have read. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's, it's uh, Ice Cream Man has invaded the home of uh, two kids and a mom. And I think the, the dad is uh, suddenly out of the picture. And he's reading the kids these bedtime stories, and they are just completely fucked up versions of these beloved stories. You know, like I, I can recite Goodnight Moon from memory. I can do, okay. if you give me the first three lines of Green Eggs and Ham, I can finish it for you. It's very similar to a chant in that way. <laughs> um, and it's, it's just like him in this house sort of taking command and making sure that nobody leaves and he's he's doing weird creepy ice cream man stuff and the kids are reading some of the books and he's reading some of the books and it's it's just it's really good it's it's spot on it's exactly what you want for ice cream man which is just kind of gross unsettling weirdness yeah Uh, did did anybody else read it yeah i did yeah okay i read it um yeah it's creepy and terrifying and really darkly funny i mean the they did a great job on the um on redoing these books yeah they did i i mean good night moon with the girl you know heat up the spoon for drug i like the fact that the mom is downstairs and they're under some kind of ice cream man influence she's chopping vegetables and stuff and cutting her finger and bringing treats up for him but she's also there's tears in her eyes and she's dressed in ice cream man outfit and the kids are dressed in ice cream man outfits and i think gary the dad is somewhere in the house like he's dead there dead yeah yeah Yeah. and i think some of these characters are repeating characters also like we have the saint generous hospital the ambulance ambulance. and i don't know if it's the same ambulance people but it's i think it's a reference to that so i think that this issue is really cool from like the standpoint of this being one of several issues of the last like seven or eight that are kind of exploratory doing cool things, whether it's the palindrome issue or this one, which is redoing all, you know, these Susian stories, children's stories. And I think that it's, it's very cool that the book has taken a turn to be sort of exploratory with the medium there. I think I was a little bit more excited about this book when it felt like we were kind of getting aspects of the mechanics of this world and who these characters are and kind of how they relate with one another and I think we'll probably go back there but I did have the feeling like halfway through this book where I was like the last couple issues of this has been really nihilistic and and that's not bad but like not nihilism in comics not like east of west nihilism but like stray bullets nihilism Mm -hmm. is just kind of hard for me to get through and I, I think a lot of the sort of psychic ennui of this series for me was really easy to take when I was also trying to figure out this sort of like cosmic balance of who this person was and what they were doing in this reality and it seems like we've gotten further away from that and it's a little bit harder for me to justify the kind of just like really bummer just like okay he killed the husband and the wife is like under his influence and like trying to get away and she's crying and these kids are like tied up or no they're just under the psychic influence and and what they're doing with the comic is really interesting like they just changed the art style drastically to fit these books and that's really interesting but it's a little bit harder for me to swallow the the like kind of disturbing horrific elements of it 
right now. Maybe it's quarantine. Maybe it's that it's been happening for several issues in a row or something. But well, I, I feel like the last couple of issues almost seem like they're coming out of quarantine. Like this is really this is the the writer and the artist kind of dumping their feelings about everything out on the page. And I I would be astounded if this book wasn't like like we've talked about before. Probably supposed to be four issues, and then mm-hmm. they realized they had a hit on their hands, so they they were like, oh, we'll do. 12 issues and they they almost revealed what was going on they're like oh we can stretch this out some more yeah and like it doesn't feel stretched mm-hmm. it just feels like maybe they they aren't following their original outline um and that's that's okay with me i'm glad that this doesn't come out any faster than it does because uh <laughs> i probably jump off a building and take take 24 pages to hit the ground uh until a poem the whole way down but uh i I mean, I, this is this is still twenty issues in, still one of the very best comics coming out. Yeah, like like you said, super super high caliber book, and I think that anyone who reads like Stray Bullets can say mm-hmm. that it's an incredibly uh, effective piece of art. But it is super hard for me to get through, and this one it's is a, getting kind of close. Yeah, this one is you getting kind of yeah. close to being that for me. I give it a ten. Yeah, I that's give, a I gooey give. duck. That's a gooey <laughs> duck. I was yeah waiting for Roman. Yeah, I give it. I give it a ten. I mean, even yeah. the last two Go. panels. Oh, it's coming out my mouth. Oh God, it's there. It's on the table. Where's that one eye? <laughs> the ninety night. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Oh, that's perfect ending. I think this is the first comic I read this week and blew me away. I love these nihilistic, horrible. Just everybody's getting slaughtered and tortured. It's it's awesome. That... The doctor, the, the Doctor Seuss parody is so good. Yeah, it was one of the most fucked up statements I've ever heard Roman say, primarily just because of the way that he said it. Like he wanted everyone to know that he gets off to this stuff. Uh, I didn't get I would, off. I just, I just like some nihilism. But then Come he got on, off 20 Roman. minutes later. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would give it an 8.5 because I think it's really, really, really well done. And I think what they're doing with comics is really, really cool. It's just hard for me to really comfortably take in. Roman. Anybody read Firepower? Speaking, speaking of really kind of lightweight, fun, happy books. Who read That's Firepower weird. number one? We've got to talk about I've read Firepower. all of Firepower so far. We've got to fucking talk about Firepower. <laughs> we have to because you drove it to me today so I that did. I could read it for tonight. It did. It did. I believe <laughs> in a life in service to others. Um, <laughs> Are you the ice cream man? Yeah, serving other flavors. Um, okay. Firepower, gosh. The issue again. Firepower, the issue number one, and I think official everyone, release. Everyone's in kind of a different issue? spot with Firepower, and we'll explain it really quickly. Why Robert Kirkman, who's always uh, had a fun time of disrupt, disrupting, pr- progressing, pushing the envelope of the way comics are distributed, he decided to make Firepower be his new comic book series with Chris Somney. And before the first issue came out, they were going to do like a zero issue, but they were going to do it as an entire paperback. So right. Like I guess mid-quarantine, that paperback came out. It was going to be earlier than that. It was going to be free comic book day. Yeah, it was, it was, the, the graphic novel <laughs> was going to come out on free comic book day and free comic book day, the entire first issue was going to be the free comic book day book. And then they also reprinted that first issue as a $4 book that you can buy, which doesn't make financial sense as the consumer, but I also waited to read it until I had a physical $4 copy of it to read. So um, he gotcha. Yeah. And he released issue one and two this week. So issue one and two came out this week and a while ago, the paperback, which takes place 15 years earlier than this 
came out. I had not read the paperback. I came into this this week having just read issue number one, and I have not read issue number two yet. Ditto on all of that. I have not read the trade paperback. I have read issue one and issue two, but I read the free comic book day issue and then issue regular two. Um, And I read the trade paperback and issue one and two. And all of the interviews and all of the back matter. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. You bet. (laughs) I read that first. (laughs) So I'm like almost as interested in talking about the production and distribution of this book as I am talking about the book itself. Right. So wherever people want to go first with that. He's fucking crazy. I don't know why he would make this so like, there's no way to describe this to a casual reader or even an experienced comic reader that doesn't take five fucking minutes and seven corrections with what they think is going on. But at the same time, I couldn't stop thinking about the entire time reading about this with you and the statements you have made like about Nick Spencer's Spider-Man about like, we got like three issues in you're like, this should all be a zero issue. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, well, I don't necessarily know about that. I don't even really even know what that means. And then I read this issue and this is a great example of there being like five zero issues that you can go yeah. get that you don't have to get. And I don't think that it's very smart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this, like, I haven't read the trade, but I'm not against it. I think that it's a really interesting setup and I like the story. I like the way he tells it. He's, he's a good writer. He's it, like, this is just one gimmick too far for even me, I guess. And again, I haven't even, I'm not, I don't mean by, I don't think it's very smart to be at all a reflection of the book itself because I like the book. I, I don't think it's very innovative. It feels like Avatar as told through Invincible. Right. It seems like the children's show Avatar, which I've tried twice to watch and I've never made it more than like eight episodes in. Oh, you got to get 34 episodes. Which is I think it's real good. Very bro. hot take because I've never had, and I mean, not discouraging the art at all, but I've never had so many adults like tell me that they love a children's show. And I love a lot of children's shows. So I don't mean that disparagingly at all. But uh, so not a, qual- a statement about the art, but it just seems like I like that you're playing with everything, Robert Kirkman, but it seems like a really hard sell to get people. I, I can only feel like it would kind of discourage people from picking up issue number one feeling like there is a $10 paperback that took place before it, even though you don't have to have read it. I don't know. I mean, what did Clinton Roman think? Well, I think, I mean, I, Kirkman to me, I, when you're so desperate to do something new that you're just doing anything so is kind of how I, he at least borders on, if not is just, yeah, it drives me crazy. But um, <laughs> uh, like, just because it's different doesn't mean it's good. Right. Um, and I don't mind a a story that I feel like I've read before um, that's a new take on a familiar concept or a couple things mashed together. There's something wonderfully comfortable about that um, and enjoyable, but I don't know. It didn't, maybe I needed to read the trade first to have this speak to me more. It was fun, but it was very forgettable to me. And I get, I kind of get where it's going with the, trade potentially with how many people I have come in back when we had our door- doors open who wanted to try something out in a trade first or the people that wanted to be able to read five issues of something to decide if they liked it or not. 
um, to maybe use this as a like a gateway to getting those people who want to read trades into reading issues because there's that like well I bought it as a trade first so I have to collect it that way or I have to get the issues because that's how it came out oh well no it came out this way it feels like it's an experiment on just how do we get those those weird or not weird, I totally agree those new those people who are getting into comics but have uh, a very specific concept on how they want to collect but is that actually how we need to be presenting comics to that one set of customers i if if everything with quarantine hadn't happened it would have been really interesting to see how this would have played out mm -hmm. actually selling comics in a store this way that's a really good point i don't know that i love it either way but it's that's at least what i kind of think it was maybe trying for I think what Kirkman knows is that in the long run, people are just going to buy a bunch of trade paperbacks. They're going to get the prequel and then they're going to get the series. And so like, this is a temporary confusion that will be cleared up as soon as five issues are out and it's in trade. Roman, what are your feelings yeah. on all of it? Yeah. I, I agree with all of you. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, if it hadn't been for the, for the pandemic, it would have been interesting to see how this all played out in terms of the the public the customers reaction to it um because I, I read the trade when we got our advanced readers copy and yeah they were banking on i think just kirkman's name selling it though actually i only read the trade because of samney mm. um and they ended up really liking it but also i haven't seen avatar and what was the other one you mentioned well invincible is kirkman's other series yeah i haven't read invincible and i haven't Joy. seen avatar so for me it was all pretty, it was all pretty new. <laughs> um, and I'm really loving the series, but yeah, if somebody just picked these up cold, like you said, Colette, um, I, I wonder how memorable it all would be. Like with issue two this week, a character shows up and I was like, oh, hey, that's what's his name from the graphic novel, cool. But, you know, I had the context. <laughs> I, think... I really liked number two. And, and I'm excited to read number two because I, I did like this book and Kirkman, like the things that I love about Invincible were present in this book. Mm. Wrapped in, a, in a, a wrapping that I'm less interested in than Invincible, but still mm -hmm. had these like, we hung out at a barbecue for a long time. And I liked that a lot. There's an interview that Robert Kirkman did with the cartoonist Kayfabe guys. And he was talking about how before Saga came out, Brian K. Vaughn was kind of the first to say like, hey, I want to write this new, I want to have this new book come out. And I want to make the first issue be regular price, but I want it to be two times as long or three times as long or something. And Kirkman was like, that's foolish. What's Don't wrong do with that. you? <laughs> yeah. And, and he was just like, do not do that. And everywhere Brian K. Vaughn went, everyone was like, Don't do that. And it was the smartest business move ever. This seems to me like him, because he was talking in that interview about like, wow, I was so wrong. I feel like this is a kind of extension of like, okay, would people like a first issue if it was an entire graphic novel? And then like, and I think it's a combination of that exploration with the kind of thing that Jango has talked about, about like, what is the role of a zero issue? And like, what is the role of setting up a story before an issue number one? And, and while I don't, I don't think that it, this is nailing it, it does feel like an experiment, just like Colette said, you know, just like Roman Jango have said, it, it, it's an experiment. I don't think that it's super eloquent, but I do like that there's somebody out there whose name is big enough that he doesn't have to need to like worry about whether a book is yeah. working like before this first issue came out 
Somni was already done with the art for the first six issues of this series. Like they've just yeah. been working on it. They don't have to worry about it. All they have to do is kind of experiment with the medium. And well, he's got, it? no, but it, it's fine. He's got fuck you money and he's yeah. got talent and he's got a love for the comic book industry. So mm. if he thinks of something crazy to do, it's no like, I'll bet that his kickback from a season of walking dead is a hundred times the money that it costs him to send out all those free comics that he sent yeah. out a few weeks ago, like the, the here's Negan, you know, and yeah. it's, it's, uh, he's, he's doing really cool things for a small community, uh, with his, with his fame and fortune. So I'll allow it and I'll support it. Um, I would not have read number two if it wasn't Robert Kirkman and I didn't trust him. So, and, and, and I really like number two. And it is interesting that um, the trade stands on its own. I mean, when I finished it, I thought, oh, there's the end of the story. Um, I know it's going to continue in a series, but I mean, I don't have to, I don't have to read that series. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really love those characters, it's, it's, the series feels like a bonus to the graphic novel to me. Interesting. Hey, Colette, are you going to read more of this book? I really love Somni, so I probably will. It was also such a quick read. Yeah, that I think I probably will pick up the trade and and number two when I actually remember to next time I'm in the shop. Um, I honestly like I all the stuff that I usually love reading. I just have not had the patience or energy for since the world fell apart and um and I broke inside. So something <laughs> this uh this just kind of comfortable and familiar to read, even though it's a new take on familiar tropes to me um you know it's nice it's it's easy so probably yeah i yeah i don't know i I don't know what i'm saying anymore i'm still talking i shouldn't be i fucking love it so so let's give our scores to represent what we've read at this point clet and i having just read issue number one Django issue one and two and roman ogn one and two um who's going first (laughs) you are yeah buddy uh so you want to you want a collective score for all that stuff yeah, I mean, can we just, like, let's just talk about all of our Score independent experience with Firepower right now. Like, my, for you, my, it's a whole bunch of stuff. For Colette yeah. and I, it's just one thing. My collective score for all of it so far, um, geez, a 9.5, 10? That's right in so, there. so, what, can you just, like, since we spent more time talking about its distribution than the piece itself, can you tell, like, I, I was excited to read this because you liked that OGN so much months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the OGN, it's, it's so much fun. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, you know, guy goes up to the hidden city city up in the Himalayas, meets a, ma- a mentor, a master who also has some weird modern quirks to his personality and um, nothing new there, but the way they did it, the fight choreography, um, all of it was just really fun. There was little, little real good emotional moments like that hug thing. Mm-hmm. him him and that guy his friend i mean they start off of course being rivals and hating each other at the monastery um because our main character is the new guy at that point but the way they build a friendship is very well done it was just a fun series and then it ends and then we start 15 years later with with our main character and his his family and children um i guess that's kind of the invincible thing as you see these people like have a real life and real development as it goes along it's all very fun i think i think issue one and two would have worked a lot better if you had read the graphic novel 
Yeah, I, I would imagine so, yeah. Um, just having that context backstory. My, my like, only disappointment is that it just seems so familiar and every, like it seems like the most interesting part, the most interesting part of this book is the way that it's being put out. But mm -hmm. I do think it's very good and I would give it an eight. I'm gonna stretch and give it a seven so far. Um, just completely not up my alley, but I'll keep reading it because I trust Kirkman. I think I made it, I don't know, nine or 11 issues into uh, his, uh, what is it? Uh, Oblivion song. And I didn't think that was very good, but there's something about him. It, it, it goes down real easy. What do you got, Colette? Schultze. Uh, six and a half. Yeah. I Maybe if I'd read the, <clears throat> the five issues or the, the trade before it, I, it wouldn't have been so forgettable, but I, I read it and everything drifted out of my mind immediately. Not to say I won't keep reading it probably, but it was nothing wrong with a six and a half. Just not. It's lightweight. Um, I read King of Nowhere number four by W. Maxwell Prince and Tyler. J <laughs> what? I get Colette it. read it too? Yeah. Uh, of course. I, I love it. I thought I was Fuck, I love this. <laughs> so, Colette, I think I think when we, I, I'm I'm sure that I got a ration of shit from somebody in this room about liking this comic that felt completely like a dream. And not me, because I think this thing is amazing. I love well, like this I usually so I usually don't like dream sequences, oh. and the first couple mm -hmm. of issues felt like this guy just kind of tripping through a dream, like a druggy dream sequence. And I was so glad in this issue to find out that they're in the real world. <laughs> they're like, they're arguably on our earth even. God and damn it, Django will not like something that's out of his genre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like their, their feet are on the ground in this. And but I'm he so liked glad. it for the three issues before he learned that. Mm -hmm. and, and is that is that because I could feel that he was writing that way? Like... It, yeah, it because never even, felt dreamy to me. There was there were no Mobius strips. I do I do remember actually. Yeah, it was Django and Roman and I were on the episode where we talked about issue number one, and I I I brought that up. I don't know that I gave you a ration of shit, but it it is an interesting distinction. It wasn't that. It was another one like that. <laughs> because because, but even I do remember in that first statement you saying like I don't know that we're in a dream. I don't know that we're not on our reality. You're like it just seems yeah. like maybe this guy has a fish head like you said that like you you never felt necessarily like maybe we are walking on a mobius strip you always had the confidence that it was grounded and i did not. yeah i didn't ever i i thought it was some some sort of realism going on it was because it would be too much of a a write-off for it to be a dream uh yeah i don't yeah. know i but but it's been so strange and ooky and the conversations yeah. and the characters have just been completely not of this world and then in this issue we find out what's been going on and it mm -hmm. it kind of like everything kind of comes to a stop and you're like oh shit this is real and there are consequences like the whole time you're thinking well you know if something really bad happens to this guy maybe it's not the end of the story because maybe he'll wake up with a bullet in his head and be fine um but i i was super impressed with this i i keep thinking that it's uh matt kent but it's right. it's Me, it's our I, ice cream man too. guy yeah, yeah. and it's just because tyler artists. jenkins yeah. yeah tyler jenkins drew it i don't know colette i i think this is one of my favorite comics to come out this year absolutely wow. i love this and i was 
so devastated when I got to the last page and saw the to be concluded because I had not realized that this was a limited series and I wanted to cry. (laughs) Hey, I have a quick question. Hey, Django, do you have all the issues? I don't think so. I I haven't been buying many issues. I've been keeping Batman stuff and not much more. I, I fucking love this book and it I love so the first time I read anything with the with Tyler Jenkins art was Nowhere Man which is unfortunately mm-hmm. out of print which pisses me off I can't oh, sell it to bummer. people um but which was such a cool weird trippy sad quick little story um and it wasn't um Hillary Jenkins doing the coloring so it was much more like very um, vibrant very vibrant and it was all it was a lot of dream sequence and somehow vibrant with all those dark horse browns that they like to yeah. use in their colors yeah but this is like that turned up mm-hmm. um the the like I, everything i've seen of him since has been so realistic and moody and wonderful and i i'm loving getting to see him do just super trippy weird shit again with this really emotional story and just this wonderfully weird dark little crazy psycho town that's just full of loving caring small town charm and with upside down faces yeah upside down faces (laughs) and a fish and a bird that are happily married and celebrating their anniversary and tragedy is just going to befall every single person that you like and it's fantastic yeah, my first experience with his art was Snowblind. That was a really good book. It was also really good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Nowhere Man was awesome too. Yeah, I, I would never I boy, would, never boy, never boy, yeah. never boy. That's right. No, what is Nowhere Man? Nowhere Men is, is the Beatles image book. song and an, and um, a, and Nowhere a Man is image like, yeah. Beatles song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Making. Uh, I would give this uh, a solid nine or a nine and a half. That's so crazy, you guys. I'm so fucking glad that this series has paid i we haven't gotten a glad score yet i'm just the, hearing this fucking conversation i'm so fucking jacked to that like i'm glad I'm, that, isn't it great when you dip out of something and everyone says that it was foolish to have done that oh i do it all the time it's so nice to finally <laughs> be on favorite thing. <laughs> and then clay what do you give it uh nine and a half nine and a half damn yeah. <laughs> i don't know who else has read dark knight's death metal legends of dark knight's number one rome or sorry Django. anyone else i read it Nope, not me. So let's nope. talk about it because I think we were the only ones, you know, selfish enough to take home this book that's now like a twenty-five <laughs> or thirty-dollar book and get our disgusting, greasy fingers all over it, and therefore not be able to sell it on eBay for whatever dumb, dumb price that it's going for. And you know what? We had enough to fill our subscriptions. We auto subbed a bunch of people to it, and we had like just a couple left over. And you know, it's a it's a good argument for subscribing to things unless you don't mind a second print like we're getting second prints in for people like that's that's not a big deal if you're if you're just a a reader and not a collector or a reseller this book surprised me Me at how good it was yeah um i I, everything about it said it should not have been good yeah yeah from from the spec i'll bring you i'll bring you my greasy copy tomorrow if you want. oh yeah i love it please do It's it's basically just a bunch of very short, short stories about different versions of bad Batmans or, or like da, da, dark universe Batmans. And we get an origin for King Robin. We get an origin for the Batman, the, the Dr. Batman Hatton. 
we get an origin for a baby Batman that was hilarious by um, Garth Ennis. Garth Ennis? I think like, probably half of this issue was the framing device of Dr. Batman Hatton. And then the, the back half of it were like two page stories about different yeah. characters. And that was what allowed me to get through it because we've gotten through like DC has put out so many anthology books in the last four months. Like, mm -hmm. like all of the hundred page specials, the 80th anniversary specials, the collections like this from metal of like a bunch of different stories. And it's I'm MTV. It's ruining our attention spans, Jeff. I'm kind of burning out on it. I'm like a mom from 1989, <laughs> but this one did it well because the first half was this dumb story that I was curious enough about because it was like evil Batman becoming Dr. Manhattan that I was, I, I opened this book. Like I've opened all of those hundred page specials of like, I'm going to stop reading here at some point. I'm just going to soon as through. I'm bored. Exactly. And this one, actually I read the whole thing because the first half is hilarious enough. And then all of the little <laughs> two page specials, one is written by Garth Ennis with art by Joel Jones about yeah. Batman's consciousness. He dies and his whole system about building a better Batman puts his consciousness in the body of an infant. And it's just two pages of Batman's brain trying to figure out how to use a baby's body and failing and then crying in the fetal position. Soft like, spot on my skull where a foe could potentially poke a finger into my brain. Incontinence. Yeah, like, like funny. <laughs> head's too heavy. Yeah, like funny, <laughs> dumb stuff. And so when we read Darth, Dark Knight's Death Metal number one, I said that like something about this feels like death, like metal number one kind of took itself seriously. I'm going to be cool. And this, this death metal, number two, it's not trying to be cool. It's making fun of no. itself. It's like yeah. the whole thing is like that first one was almost dumb in how over the top it was. Let's just make a dumb thing. And this whole thing, not dumb in the way that you shouldn't read it. It's dumb in the way that it's like, it's not Grant Morrison, let's have fun with the Silver Age and make it relevant. It's like, let's have fun with the Silver Age and kind of make fun of it, but not in a way that talks down to it in a way that feels like, hey, this is comics we can have fun with. It doesn't have to be Frank Miller and Alan Moore. Yeah, there's there's the two-page story by Daniel Warren Johnston that's just like the Batmobile being Ascension Bruce Wayne, and it's like Road Warrior Batman, and it's it's Mad Max dumb throughout. Just or like, other... put, your, put your brain in neutral and let's just have fun. Or the two-page story by Marguerite Bennett that is just Batmanosaurus Rex, which is... Mm -hmm. The, mach the Batman from the Batcave, Batman had to put his consciousness in there. And there's a bat robotic bat Tyrannosaurus that has like a shadowed face of Batman in its mouth. It's but just, then, it's dumb. Next oh, to that, awesome. next to that, there's, there's the uh, Riley Rossimo illustrated origin of the um, King of Pain, the Robin. It's written by Peter Tomasi. And it's, what if Bruce had been killing cats and bats and actually stopped Joe Chill from killing his parents and then shot his parents himself. And so it's like, it's fucked up and dark. And when I finished reading that, I was like, man, this is, this is super heavy. That was, that was a really interesting take, but I don't want more of this. And then we just go into the absurdity of the rest of the, the dark multiverse Batmans. And I, I appreciated that they were able to kind of offset it. Um, what do you give it? 
I don't know. I can't remember if I gave it a score a minute ago or not. You but I would, tried and I stopped you. I'd give it. I'd give it an eight. It falls a hair short of me saying it's a legitimately very good comic. It's it's a good comic for being fun. It is not a good comic for being like creatively challenging. I'd give about half. <laughs> Roman, Roman that's some out good of his box, box water, water again. And, and Colette, I don't know if she's muted, but she just like everyone laughed and Roman took it serious. Now Roman's never going to drink box water on camera again. Hydrate, oh, motherfucker. For all of us. No, I, I, I always will because my, my tap water at my place, I don't know what's, what, why, but my tap water gives me the burps. So, so i drink I, so i drink so i drink box I've never water heard you say any word like that it gave me the burps that was like and again for the audio component like 170 episodes of this podcast we're all of us sitting in a room together recording audio now we have this whole thing where we're doing it through video together and it it adds this degree of like hilariousness of like this is what roman looks like in his home talking about comics uh i would i would say i'd give half of this issue probably a six and a half and i'd give the other half an eight and a half okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna settle it at At a seven seven and a half or an eight like it's it's real good um and i'm sorry to everybody who has to read it as the second printing like uh pre-order your books and that cover every, everywhere is going to make such a big difference to the reading quality right again no one's going to be bummed by that <laughs> giant x number one phantom x by jonathan hickman and rod reese who we've been seeing doing the sinkovician to quote my good boy mm-hmm. Django, mm-hmm. my good my brother Django, uh the sinkovician <laughs> art giant size x-men phantom x number one not what i expected it to be i'm most interested in hearing colette's opinions although i love roman and Django very much but phantom x first created in the jonathan or sorry the grant morrison new x-men run in 2000 but most of the character work on him was done in the rick remender uncanny x-force run uh many years after that he's been in some other things since then none of them particularly good in my mind Colette, what well, did you think about they this? They divided him up into three separate characters. It Which was, was right after the Remender run. Yeah, it was hard to to get on board with Phantom X because so much. It, he's when you divide him characters. up, he's very problematic. Yeah, and he's one of those characters that's supposed to be borderline unstandable. Like he's mm-hmm. absolutely the epitome of egotistical just dick that you don't want around but somehow you stay friends with him and you like him kind of a thing but you hate him at the same time and when they split him into the three different characters it just lost the little bit that kind of held on to me that kept him going but yeah i totally agree um but this kind of this particular issue almost seemingly doesn't mention the stuff where they split him up and i hope that they kind of just go back to the Morrison Remender Phantom X. Yeah, that, that's been one of the characters. So I love Phantom X. Me I too. He's so weird and interesting. And I one love of my him. favorite parts uh, of one of my favorite runs of all time. Yeah. And I've been waiting for him, hoping he would show up in some of the post Hoxpox books. And, and I was really curious if he was going to stay the, the three different characters or if being reborn he would be a singular character again and i i i want to reread this one because i felt like i spent a lot of this issue trying to figure out if this was the 
back to being combined Phantom X or if this was one of his incarnations going through this and where the storyline was taking place because it took me a good third of the book to figure out exactly where the timeline was going on in this. And this is really hinged upon a particular moment in the the Morrison run, unfortunately. Not unfortunately. Roman or Django, did you guys read this book? No, yeah. I brought it home and forgot to read it. Roman? Yeah, I, I read it. Um, and I'm looking forward to you guys explaining to me about Phantom X because I read all that Morrison stuff. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> so... More, so okay so phantom x okay so, <laughs> so he's part of the weapon x program he's part of yeah. the weapon x program he was born in this thing called the world which is like a, us. a synthetic environment <laughs> where time moves at an accelerated pace yeah and that's the thing that morrison introduced in new x-men but it's also a thing that hickman did in his the ultimates series in like 2012 i think like mm-hmm. the he created this dome that the ultimate universe reed richards created where time moves an accelerated pace mm-hmm. and then that entity has actually tied into hawks pox so it's, this had the world in some of his uh all new x-men or uncanny x-men one of those two it was in there a bit and so it's this like totally inconceivable reality where it's like a dome and all things that can exist do exist and time doesn't operate normally and there and it's is the size of a ball and there is like phantom x was created simultaneously as this other entity that's like called omega or something that that plays a central a a, a central part in the morrison new x-men run where the art is done by chris bocciolo one of the sequences in this issue is a retelling of that sequence from the morrison bocciolo portion of new x-men where they go into the phantom x stuff this issue itself is mostly a story of it starts at Phantom X at birth. He was born in the world. His mother was forced to breed with computers. And then that is what sort of birthed him and his twin brother. And he was sent out of the world and his twin brother was left in the world. And every 10 years outside of the world, Phantom X has dipped back into the, the quote unquote world. And for whatever reason, but he always like kind of goes and finds his brother who has been evolving at an accelerated and rapid rate inside the world. And this is just all of the moments where he dips back in and sees his twin brother who ends up being a villain in the Morrison new X-Men run. And that's not the climax. The climax is sort of after that storm approaches Phantom X because of the giant size X-Men issue uh, by of Emma and Jean with Doubterman and Hickman learning that storm has this technological virus in her that's going to cause her to die. They come to Phantom X to have him take them to the world, which is this technologically advanced place to hopefully find a cure for her. So it's kind of a weird Phantom X history issue that leads up to the moment that is him in current continuity. It's- So who's going into the world? Phantom X, this issue is divided into like five different moments, each of mm-hmm. which are separated by a decade. Oh, I mean, I mean to save Storm, who's going into the world? So in that, the final page of the issue is... It's him, Storm, Cypher, and is that... What's her name? Um, She's from X-Men Red, one of the newer characters, I think. So I haven't read that uh, Morrison original Phantom X stuff, so I was more lost than I expected to be because I've read a 
good deal of everything else with Phantom X. Um, I still really liked it. I just felt a little more lost than I expected to the whole way through. Um, I really want to reread it now that I kind of figured out what's going on. It was cool the whole way through. I just had a hard time pinning down, um, you know, I don't mind being confused if it's pretty and it's interesting <laughs> and it definitely was. So it's, um, it's Im- one thing that I got surprised at, like three quarters of the way through this issue was just like, Oh, another one of these Dawn of X house of X moments is coming back to the Morrison run. Uh-huh. And even though this is like a different artist telling the story he wants to tell combined with Hickman, like a lot of this stuff is coming back to the Hick- the, the Morrison X-Men run, which wasn't even an incredibly long run. It makes sense that like Hickman, I think, is a student of the Morrison school of storytelling, whether he wants to admit it or not. And this this clearly linked both of those things. And I, I think he's the best person to be carrying on the torch of a Morrison story. Oh, I was just gonna say that I think that those heavy homages to that Morrison run or or pulling from um I've noticed multiple times little things that have seemed to pull from that um uncanny X Force and stuff that that to me, what makes really good modern X-Men is just going all in on the weird and the the more out there and, and strange of a character and powers and whatnot, the more compelling of stories you can get out of this. And, and Hickman seems to really be like, yeah, no, let's stop trying to make your, your stock strong hero stories of these just weird out there characters. Right. I'm gonna give it an eight and a half. I'm gonna give it an eight and a half also. That sounds right in line with, I think it's really good, but I, I, I'm glad that you liked it as, also as much <clears throat> as I did, considering it was kind of rooted in some stories. Okay, someone needs to get us out of that moment into yeah. a moment. We can um, talk about <laughs> Batman 96, or we can talk about a different book that Roman read. Oh, I, I was just gonna say, you know, Empire number four, I've been kind of, pretty iffy on this series issue number four i thought was the best one so far hell yeah um which still isn't you know super accolades but you know it was the best issue so far and i read that in celestial messiah and realized oh now i know how this is gonna end because basically warning well here's my theory um the celestial messiah is a a child of the Kotati and a human Hulkling who's now the emperor of the scrolls and the Kree. He's, he's a child of scroll and Kree. So the superheroes aren't going to win this thing. Hulkling and Koi, the celestial messiah, at some point they're going to face each other, supposed to fight. They're going to realize, oh, we're both, we're both children of two different people. We're both supposed to be unifiers of our races. Why don't we be unifiers for the whole universe and stop this war? Oh, thank God I don't have to read the next 300 crossover issues. There there you go. You don't have to read any further now. I got shit to do. (laughs) I heard people talk about this issue and they describe the end of this issue as as like the whole thing has sort of been lynched around uh, Hulkling and but he's been acting out outside of his normal character. And at the end of this issue like Wiccan, they're like, let's bring in Wiccan and Wiccan sees him and he's like, oh, that's not my husband. Yeah. Um, and it seemed to me interesting that like maybe Hulkling is not himself or it's at least calling into play like a really 
like Hulkling, Hulkling and Wiccan are a long-standing relationship in Marvel Comics, or at least for the last like 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cool that the strength of their relationship is the thing that is able to point out that like, oh, Hulkling is not acting normal. And he- then maybe he's maybe there's something going on with him. I, I don't, yeah, I haven't yeah. been reading it, but yeah, that was a good twist in this issue. And I got to admit the, um, the artist Valerio Shifty um, did a good job before any of that is mentioned in the story. I was thinking, boy, Holy looks a lot more devious and, and conniving than he's ever looked before. I wonder what that's about. And so what do you think it's about? Well, that was the visual clue that, Oh, Hulkling maybe isn't is being controlled or isn't himself somehow. I guess that's what I'm curious about. Is like, is he being mind controlled? Is he not we, himself? We is he being manipulated? Yeah, we don't. Well, we don't know yet. Well, you but already know the end. <laughs> well, that's it's, my theory about the end. Which I'm the sure journey is the exciting part, Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah, that's the why journey. We're all I mean, reading Empire. Yeah, the journey. <laughs> I mean, there's cool things happening to Hulk, who is formerly She-Hulk. Something horrible, 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 awful happens to her, and it's pretty cool. Did you have a score for that, Roman? Oh, the entire um, Empire saga, as you think it's going to end. We all just kind of shit on Roman while he was the only one talking about Marvel's biggest summer event of 2020. So like, I think say, we some deference for it. I, gotta, I haven't read it, but I really appreciate that they actually told you whether or not a character is acting different from themselves or if they're just being written different from themselves. That's, that's a good point. My, mm-hmm. They're not yeah. giving us that in X-Men. Yeah, yeah that, that is a good point. There was also a great super scroll moment where he uses oh. his super hypnosis power, which he usually doesn't use. He's green. Yeah, he's green. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, I read... Yeah, I can't argue that. I read... I wanted am, to. I read... <laughs> I am Fantastic Four Empire too, and I don't remember anything about it. Um, that sounds like Empire. <laughs> yeah. Dude. I think overall, I'd probably give Empire so far, uh, I don't know, overall a five and a half. Sounds like it's curling upward like a leaf too close to the sun or light source that you're using. You know, I would give the yes. Emperor Hulkling yes. also a green character. I would give him yeah, that the, the one shot, the Emperor Hulkling shot, um, I would give that probably a seven and a half or an eight. I think you that was that, that was one week. of the yeah. best best comics that came out that week. Yeah, that was Zdarsky, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Of course, I gave it at that kind of score. Yeah. I think I even put it in the notes of an episode. Oh, that was a wonderful metaphor, Jeff, about the leaf because you know Katati. Right. Not at all based around what I'm thinking about right now. Colette, you've yes. been you read Batman '96, and I don't. I think from the way that you talked about it, you hadn't been reading the series up until this point. <laughs> And um, I don't even know, even the people who've been reading this series up until this point, no one seems to be able to tra- track their feelings about it. So what do you, how, can you just, 96, Joker War Part 2, James Tinney and the Fourth, Jorge Jimenez, Timo Mori, can you, what did you just dipping at? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> the main Batman book. Tell us about it. So I can't remember if I made it two or three issues into Tinian's run before I just said, fuck this. Fuck it. I'm pissed (laughs) off at the end of every issue. No. Um, I'm still buying them for some fucking reason. (laughs) Mostly because Jared's too behind and he hasn't read and I don't know if he wants it or not. I read this. Read it. And the first couple pages I was like, oh, this is different than I was expecting. I mean, I'm behind. I don't know what's going on. This Oh, oh. Okay, whatever. 
Um, yeah, I don't really have an opinion to be perfectly honest. That's I totally valid. I, this is one of my huge pet peeves in comics is when you've got a single character story, like a, not a team book, but you give a, an event going on that there's no way that all the other heroes they know wouldn't be coming in to do something. Yeah, where's Superman's Clark? not going to come take care of Joker taking over the entire town and all of yeah. Batman's fortune. Like, like City of Bane, they they figured out a way to kind of excuse away that it was this insulated and if you can come up with some sort of a justifier as to why there isn't anyone else <laughs> willing to come in and help with the situation i just it just pisses me off um and yeah that's all I, that's all i'm gonna say about this book because i Totally I valid. Know. Totally, I, I vow. I love that you dipped into the issue, having not read, you know, some of the context around it, and dipped into it. It isn't super dissimilar from the opinions of like Django and I, who've read every single issue. Django, what did you think about this, man? It was fine. the The final thought that I had was, "Fuck zombies." <laughs> That's kind of the, the final thought that I had on the Empire X Men issues, though we've been getting. Is really? that, like, there's uh-huh. a fuckload of zombies in this, and like Hickman even keeps joking about <clears> it. It's like, <throat> like you know, alien plants versus Krakoan zombies or some shit mm-hmm. like that. Like it's he's making fun of plants versus zombies, the kids game. But yeah, this this so full disclosure, I read the first seven or eight pages of this, thinking that I was reading Deceased Number Two. Oh, weird um, day. Weird day. It was super confusing because it <laughs> flashes forward to the future, which, you know, deceased is the future. And I thought maybe this is the city they built on the other planet or whatever. But it, you know, it turns out it wasn't. And it was just Batman. And I don't know, man. I like Zorro more than I like this issue. Um, <laughs> I, Zorro, I, really, yeah. I really don't like the idea of Joker taking over in this way. Um, it just seems clumsy and like a like a like something a fifteen year old would think was really awesome. Yeah. Yep. And I'm sorry, Jimmy Tiv, but you you've got what four issues to pull out of this nosedive, and I hope he does it because I would I would love it if there was something in the next four issues that said this is why we went through all this bullshit. Um, if if they pull a, a King of Nowhere good for him and i'm not going to stop reading it because i read all the batman but um you know i the whole time i was just like okay cool whatever at least there wasn't that much punchline in it <laughs> um yeah what you said really uh jorge jimenez his art is amazing he make he elevates the story of this book up a degree mm-hmm. um jorge jimenez i'll read pretty much anything you want to put out after this especially after his like justice League <clears throat> stuff with scott snyder the writing, I think that Jimmy TIV does some great plotting, but I think a lot of his writing falls short. I think where we're at, like, I think Bendis has a problem with decompressing stories. Mm-hmm. This, like, I keep feeling like I'm excited to read Batman and then keep thinking, like, it's part two of Joker War. I have five more parts of this before it's over. Like, And we had seven just, parts before part one. <laughs> please just be done. It's, and don't it, forget all the tie-ins. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, we could, yeah, we could just criticize it for not being good. So there are some high points of it. The, the high points being 
like Batman, this whole thing is coming down from psychotic drugs that Punchline gave him in the previous issue. So he's like kind of deranged the whole time. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit interesting. And he thinks he's hearing Alfred, which I thought was really cool. And I think that like before Jimmy TIV started his run, he was like, yeah, a lot of it's going to deal with Batman dealing with the fact that Alfred's dead. We're 11 issues in and we've Mm -hmm. not really gotten any of that. And this issue kind of deals with that. We see some horrible nightmares of alfred with his neck broken it doesn't seem like it's the story that should follow up alfred having died in batman if that's actually going to yeah. happen i give it a seven to yeah 7.5 I'm, I'm right there with a seven and one of the main conceits was that the joker invited gotham offered to pay gothamites to go see zorro in the movie theater that bruce and his parents saw zorro in before they were killed in order to kill them all and turn them into zombies to fight batman when he inevitably shows up in his uh, PTSD stupor. But they're and, not. They're the people that Joker's been digging up. Right. He, uh, he apparently theater. has so, dug up every person he's killed. And they all right. have varying yeah. levels of decay, which is like, okay. <laughs> Colette, what's your final score? F- yeah, I don't, I don't have a score for it because I didn't read it. But there I can give you some go. quick scores of some books I can really recommend this week. Real quick. Please. Yeah, get us out on that. Uh, Sandman Universe, The Dreaming Waking Hours, number one, by uh, G. Willow Wilson. Excellent. I would give that a nine right out of the gate. You were reading The Dreaming Um, before all of this and loving it. Is this better or worse than? By Simon Spurrier. Is it a Um, good jumping on point also? It's a good jumping on point. It doesn't doesn't really have anything to do with that previous series, except that, you know, it ties into the dreaming realm. Um, And if you like Shakespeare... Clet, this is a you'll enjoy this um it's 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 just a lot of fun yeah far sector number seven <laughs> ten well it is late so on that note maybe we should say hey everyone thanks for listening to the perfectly acceptable podcast episode 188 that one where we talked about a bunch of episodes but the most bunch of issues but the most important part was that colette was here and it wasn't just the normal three of us colette was here colette can you just you want to send us out on a note? Uh, okay. Um, well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the Perfectly Acceptable podcast with us, the Comics Place crew. I'm Colette. Jeff has been Jeff. Roman's been Roman. And Django's been Django. They're welcome to speak for themselves, but I'm doing it right now. And we love you. We miss mm-hmm. you. You're wonderful people. We're always available for you at shop.thecomicsplace.com. And we love having you come and t- spend a little bit of your time to listen to us talk about what we love talking about. We miss you. You're wonderful. Give us a little review if you feel inclined. Have a nice night. That was awesome, dude. Way to go. Yeah, did you, you do that a- every week? Do you do that every week? Have you done that 188 times? <laughs> Damn, girl. Yeah, that was like, that was like scripted. That was awesome. Damn. Professional. Professional.